My name is Brett Powell, and I got baptized today. You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We're working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about church, our church, or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. don't know me. My name's Chip. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, like a lot of you, uh, and I know this isn't true of everybody, but I grew up in the church, uh, Grace Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, to be specific, and uh, it was great. Um, I, I had a great experience growing up in the church. We were there all the time. Multiple generations of my family were in that church. My very best friends were in that church. A little group of us, we went to school together, we went to youth group together. Um, I came to faith in that church, age nine, at a VBS I'm so thankful for the men and women who explained the gospel to me that helped lead me to a place of faith. I just had a hugely positive experience growing up in church. What I didn't have, and I realized this a little later in my life, was I didn't really have a deep understanding of the gospel. I had the basics. I had come to a place where I believed that Jesus was God's son, that he had died for my sin, that he had risen again. And I believe that because I'd come to faith in him, that I would be with him for all of eternity. And again, amen for that. But for a long time, what I really thought was that what comes after faith, after a decision um, to believe, what, what I thought came after that was a list of things not to do. And so it's like, okay, well, now you're a Christian. And so um, the next is all this list that you can't, uh, drink or smoke or do drugs. You, you shouldn't cuss. You shouldn't listen to music or watch movies where there's a cussing. You get to keep your pants on. Like this is, there's a list of things not to do. And maybe for some of you who aren't a Christian yet, maybe one of the things that's holding you back is that that's kind of how you understand Christianity, that like a decision to follow Jesus is a decision to stop enjoying life. And in fairness, there are a handful of thou shalt not commandments in the Bible. And so that there's really no way around that. If, you're, if your favorite hobbies are getting high and watching porn and gossiping about your coworkers, like Jesus is going to confront that in your life. There, there are things that we have to leave behind to follow him. But what I didn't really grasp a hold of, probably until I was in my early 30s, was that actually a lot of the Christian life is described in terms of freedom in the New Testament. That a robust understanding of the gospel doesn't lead to a life of restriction. It leads to a life of freedom. And so, for example, in John 8, Jesus says that his words are truth and that the truth shall set you free. That if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, the Apostle Paul says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Apostle Peter calls Christians in 1 Peter 2.16 to live as people who are free. And so last week, we considered together from Romans 1 how it was that the gospel saved. And Paul continues to unpack that through the next seven chapters of his letter to the church in Rome. And this morning, he reaches a crescendo in Romans 8. 
which is where we're going to be. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to take it out and to leave it open. Um, or if you have it on your app, leave your app up. I think Romans 8 should be one of the most highlighted, underlined, starred, margin notes chapters in your whole Bible. Um, and so if you are a Christian, in Romans 8, what you're going to get is, is the Apostle Paul passionately pleading with you to step into who you are in Christ now, here, in this life. Not to sit around waiting to die so that you can go to your reward in heaven, but to allow the good news of the gospel to radically shape how you live in and think about your world between now and when that happens. And so he, he is, he, you have to hear his emotion in the plea, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones called Romans 8, Logic on Fire. It's my absolute favorite chapter in the Bible. I can't possibly do it justice in just one sermon. But I am going to read the entire chapter so you can follow along. We'll start with verse 1. Here's what he says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. But you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ if we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but of the will of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I wish we could just sit in it for five or six weeks. And maybe at some point... We will, but for now, what I want to show you is just the three main overarching truths that are in the passage in the hope that you can see what I missed for so long. That if you are a Christian, yes, the gospel brings with it a promise of eternal life, but it also brings with it a freedom to live in this life. And if you're not a Christian yet, we're glad that you're here. I would tell you that these things won't be true of you yet, but they can be. They're the offer that's held out to you by God. If you would receive it by faith, then these can describe your life as well. Let's look at them together. First, absolutely transformational truth for Christians found in Romans 8. You have been set free. You've been set free. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. There's no condemnation if you're a Christian. You've been set free. It does not say that there are no regrets. He does not say that you won't grieve or lament certain things in your past or that perhaps you won't live with the consequences of some of the mistakes that you've made in your past. He says you're not condemned by those things. 
We all look back and see things that we wish that we could do different. But condemnation is about identity. Condemnation is about who you are. It's a sentence that hangs over you. It speaks about your future or the lack thereof. The best research data that we have suggests that about 4.1% of people sitting on death row in the United States have been wrongfully convicted. 4.1% sounds like a pretty low number unless you or someone you love is part of that 4.1% who sit in prison condemned to die. So you can imagine the joy that comes when nonprofit organizations like Innocence Project, or there's a handful of them out there, when they work with DNA evidence and other evidence to get people released who are wrongfully convicted, when the condemned are set free. The problem that human beings run into is that when we stand before a holy, just, and righteous God, there is no such thing as someone wrongfully condemned. There's no such thing as someone wrongfully convicted. We dealt with that last week, right? Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the just penalty for our sin, for cosmic treason against the Lord of all creation is death. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. And yet, Paul is saying that those who are in Christ, who have been saved by God's grace through their faith in Jesus, are not condemned. They're set free. Well, how does that work, Paul? He's going to say in verses 1 to 8 that they are set free from the law. You've been set free from the law. The law of God, his commands and his statutes, his word, shows us how to live a perfect, holy, righteous life before him. The problem is that we can't. And when we don't, it's the law that condemns us. The reason that you can get a speeding ticket is because there's a law that establishes a speed limit. Without the speed limit, there would be no law broken and therefore no ticket. When you get a speeding ticket, what you're condemned by is the law that you broke. And the same is true spiritually. Jesus says as an example that the greatest commandment is you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says all of the law is summed up in these two things. The instant that you fail to do that to any degree at any time you've sinned and broken the law of God and the just penalty for that sin is death. You are condemned by the law. Sometimes what people think is, well, what I'll do is I'll just be really, really, really good. And surely God will accept that. He'll know that I, that I tried my best. But I wonder, did you catch verse 8? Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You cannot be good enough apart from Christ. On your own, you cannot please God. And if by some miracle you could, you would instantly be so proud that you did that your pride would be a sin and you'd lose it. You can't. Paul is saying that by faith, Christians have been set free from the condemnation of the law. 
Because in verse 3, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus is condemned by the law for your sin and mine. He is condemned in our place as our substitute. And for those now who are in him, we've been set free from the law. And having been set free from the law, he continues in verses 9 to 17, Christians have also been set free to live by the Spirit. Set free from the law to live by the Spirit. Paul's going to contrast the two. He's going to contrast living by the flesh as one who is condemned to living by the Spirit as one who has been set free. And those, he says, who have been set free by God's grace through faith in Christ, they, they walk by, they live their lives in a way that's consistent with the Spirit. That's verse 4. He says they set their minds on the things of the Spirit, verse 5, that they are indwelled by the Spirit, that they belong to Jesus, verse 9, that they've been made alive and righteous, verse 10, that they will be raised again as Christ Jesus was raised again, verse 11. He says this is how free people live. They live by the Spirit. So how are you living? I mean, if you identify as a Christian, are you living by the Spirit? Those who have the Spirit of God in them don't live like the world. They aren't consumed by the same desires and cares and conflicts and anxieties as the world. They aren't driven by the same motivations as those who are in the flesh, who have their minds set on this world now. They've been set free from those things to live by the Spirit. And that's not to say that Christians are perfect. Far from it. My heart and mind were grieved this week by my own sin. But Romans 8 has ministered to me this week as I prepared for this morning. And it reminded me that though I still sin, my mind isn't set on sin. But my mind isn't set on the flesh. And so I can rejoice that Christ is in me. And although my body is dead because of sin, my spirit is life because of righteousness. There is no condemnation, Paul says, for people like me who still struggle with sin. If you're a Christian, for, for people like you, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ because we have been set free from the law to live by the Spirit. Second, utterly transformational truth is you will be set free. You have been set free and you will be set free. Verses 1 to 17 resound with those soaring truths about the reality of the freedom that believers already have in Christ. And then in verses 18 to 30, he pivots to the future grace that will be ours in Christ. And so think about the way that Paul describes, he goes from talking about what has happened to the reality of the experience that Christians are having now. And he speaks of the sufferings of this present time, of the creation being subjected to futility, of its bondage to decay. He describes both the creation and believers as groaning together like pains of childbirth. 
He says we are hoping in something that we don't see. He describes us as weak. He says we don't even know how to pray as we should. Now, that is not a stellar advertisement for freedom, is it? And this is the way you share the gospel with people maybe who are close to you but far from God. See, why don't you come over and experience the suffering and the bondage and the corruption and the weakness and the ignorance of the freedom that is ours in Jesus? But don't miss what Paul is doing. He's just being honest about the current reality. And he's contrasting these current realities with a future freedom from them. And he's saying, you will be set free. There is a day coming, he says, when you're going to be set free from suffering. That is going to happen. And he acknowledges these present sufferings. But he says, you're going to be set free from suffering. Not in this life. Jesus says in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation. If you're not a Christian yet, and perhaps you've come to church expecting that if you can explore Christianity and maybe you can you know, find God, that your life is going to be free from suffering and anxiety and pain and loss and grief and limit. That there is no promise of that on the lips of Jesus. That if someone has told you that if you will come to faith, your life is going to be a golden rainbow ride to eternity, that is a lie. That's a false gospel. Jesus says, he didn't even say may. He doesn't say in this world you might have some trouble. He says you will have tribulation. So I can tell you that King's Cross is a church filled with, it is a church pastored by jacked up people with problems and tribulations and suffering and grief and lament. And we are working our way through it together. But Jesus is with us in it. And the promise is not that by faith we'll never experience it. The promise is that it's temporary. We will be set free from suffering. Just like the creation itself will be set free from suffering. And Paul says, we're waiting for it. We wait for it eagerly. We long for it. And so if you're a Christian, you have been adopted as a son or a daughter of the king. But you're not home yet. And you have been promised a perfected resurrection body, but for now you're living in this one. And we believe there's a new heaven and a new earth coming, but right now everything we see, taste, touch, hear, experience, it's all diminished. It's corrupted. It's futile because of sin. You've heard me say this before, but the most glorious sunset you've ever seen in your life is corrupted by sin and doesn't look as beautiful as God intended it to look. The greatest meal you've ever had in your life is a shell of the flavor and the joy that should be yours from eating it because it's corrupted and it's, bond, it's in bondage and it's decayed because of sin and so are your taste buds. The greatest love and joy you've ever experienced is a shadow of what awaits when you're set free. And so we wait for that with patience, verse 25 says, as those who will be set free from suffering. And when that waiting is finally over, Paul says, we'll be set free to live in glory. Set free from suffering to live for all eternity in glory. He rounds out this 
second thought by saying to Christians, essentially, what God started in you, namely the salvation that is yours by faith in Christ, that that he began in you, he's going to see through to completion. But he's going to do it through the messiness and the brokenness and the suffering of this world. Maybe you heard as we read the chapter Romans 8, 28, one of the most misused, misappropriated verses in all of the Bible. Paul says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I'm, I'm just telling man, if there's somebody in your life who's walking through the darkest time that you've ever known them to walk through, please don't send them this verse out of context and make them some promise from Instagram that is not intended. Because Paul says, we know that all things... What things, Paul, what things is God going to work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, for those who love him? All things, Paul says. The suffering, the futility, the bondage, the corruption, the groaning, the pain, the weakness, the ignorance, all of it. He's working. Well, how? What does that look like? Does that mean that if I claim the promise of Romans 8, 28, that, you know, the money that I lost in that investment, I'm going to get back double? No. What does he say? What does it look like when God works in the life of those? What he says is in verse 29, that God is going to use those things to conform his people to the image of his son. That's the good that he's going to work in all things. What happens sometimes is people separate Romans 8.28 from Romans 8.29 and they miss the whole point. He says in 28, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In order that His Son might be the firstborn of many brothers. This is the, the good that he's working, is to conform you into the image of his son. Theologians call this the first link in the golden chain of verses 29 and 30 because they explain the process by which God works all things together in the life of believers to bring them safely home. Those whom he Foreknew, verse 29, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And don't get sidetracked by the word predestined. If that trips you up, you grab me after the service. I'll allay those fears for you. We can go to coffee, send me an email. I don't want you to get sidetracked by that, but don't miss the point that Paul is making. His point is, there is a day coming for believers when you will be set free from suffering to live in glory forever. God is going to bring that to completion. He's saying, if you are a Christian, then God chose to love you in spite of your sin because he loves his son. And if you're in his son, then he loves you. And he chose to love you when you were unlovable. And he called you to himself and declared you to be righteous by his grace through your faith in Christ. And one day, he is going to finish the process of making you to be what he has already declared you to be. Glorious and righteous and perfected in Christ. 
It's going to bring that to completion. And in that day, there's not going to be any more groaning. There's not going to be any more suffering or corruption or decay or futility. That's all going away. You will have been set free from all of that suffering to live in glory. And third, he says, when that happens, you will remain set free. You have been. You will be. And once you are, you will remain set free. Verses 31 to 39, Paul takes these two thoughts. You have been set free. You will be set free. And he wants to make sure that Christians understand that nothing and no one can possibly change that. He says you're going to remain set free first from condemnation. He brings it back around to where he began. Follow his thought. He's saying if God set you free, who's going to put you back into slavery to sin? If God the Father has justified you, if he has declared you to be righteous by his grace through your faith, who's going to overthrow that judgment? To whom can someone appeal? Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Say, my boss is a jerk. My ex makes everything more complicated. Every day, this addiction I have is just right here. It's just nagging at me and clawing at me, and I can't seem to get free from it. My body just won't heal. My health won't get better. Okay, but God is for you. And if God is for you, like, who's going to be against you? What difference does it make? Yes, there's going to be some suffering involved in that temporarily here. But there's a day coming when you're set free from it. So what hold does it have over you? What power does it have in your life? He set you free from that. Kristen and I have been married for 24 years. If a woman came up to me and said, you know, Chip, I'll be honest, you're not much to look at. And I'm really not that sure you're that smart. You're certainly not funny as far as I can tell. I would just never want to date you. I can't imagine having to be married to you. Okay. <laughs> I'm good, man. She loves me. Why do I care what you think? The only person whose opinion matters to me romantically, I've got. I don't care what your opinion of me is. Look, if God is for you, who can be against you? See who Paul's after? Then he continues, he's verse 33, who's going to bring any charge against God's elect? Who's going to condemn? Like, his argument, do you know what a um, reductio ad absurdum is? It's a Latin phrase, it's an argument um, that it, where the argument is being made by using extreme examples. So just consider, if you will, the most extreme examples, the most extreme accuser, the greatest possible accuser in your life is Satan. Fair? Satan stands before God and just hurls accusations at you. And every one of them, God goes, I know. All those things were in her future when my son died. We knew all that was, I knew. We knew all that. And I still sent him to die because I love her. What, what is he going to say? What's the greatest possible threat in your life? Is death. Bear, the worst thing that can happen to you is death. If you're a Christian, death ushers you into the greatest possible joy. You're in the presence of God. 
What are they going to do? The, the greatest possible accuser, the greatest possible threat in your life, you have been set free from. There is no person, no threat that can possibly take from you what God has given to you. You will remain set free from condemnation for all eternity. Not because of you, because of Jesus. And if you're in him, then nobody can take you away from him. Nobody can take from you what God has given to you in Christ. And this is where Paul lands the plane. He says, you will remain set free from condemnation to live in Christ. To live in Christ. Verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, we're more than conquerors. Like a conqueror defeats the enemy. When you're more than a conqueror, you make the enemy your subject for the purpose of doing your will. Right? You, you don't just defeat somebody, you make them your slave. And now they work for you. In Christ, God hasn't just conquered your greatest enemy or overcome your greatest threat. He has turned them into his servants for your good. So death ushers you into the greatest possible joy. Suffering increases your Christ-like patience and you're becoming more like him. Sacrificial giving demonstrates to the world that he's your greatest treasure. Fear increases your faith. Seeing brokenness in the world all around you allows the mercy of God to flow through you to the world. You see? He takes these things that Christ has already overcome and he subjects them to Christ and he makes them his servant for your good to make you more like him. Now you're in him so that every single moment of every single day for those who are in Christ is being used by God to conform you into the image of his son with whom you will live for all eternity, having been made glorious and being gloriously set free from all suffering and condemnation forever. And Paul say, don't you see it? Don't you see, this is who you are. If you're not a Christian yet, Romans 8 is not wagging a finger of condemnation at you. It is holding out an offer of grace. It's saying all of these things can be yours by faith if you'll just receive them. If you've never done that, we'd love to have a conversation with you about it. The person who invited you here today would love to spend some time this afternoon talking with you about that. Grab me or Josh. Come back at 2 o'clock for starting point. We'll talk about it then. But if you are a Christian, understand that Romans 8 is not a chapter written to get you to do something. It's written to remind you of who you are. It's not a passage designed to call you out. It's designed to call you up. Get your eyes and your heart and your mind and your spirit up onto who you are in Christ, who it is that God has remade you to be. It should 
fill you with a boldness and an assurance that can only be those uh, can only be true of those who are in Christ. Who's going to take it from you? What are you going to face this week that's going to overcome Romans 8? If God's for you, who could be against you now? Nobody surely is going to be against you in the future. You've been set free. It's who we are in him. We just need to live like people who are free. Let's pray. Father, our hearts rejoice in these things. They seem too glorious to even look at, and yet the more we look, the longer we want to. Would you help us to be assured of who we are in Christ? For those who may be here who aren't in him yet, I pray the Spirit would do the work that only he can do. Would you open their eyes to the beauty of the free offer of grace and move their hearts to accept it that they might be set free too. Would you help us to be a church where people find freedom and learn to live as the free people that they've been made by your grace? Would you help us to be a people who commit these things to our hearts and to our minds that they might transform our lives? For Christ's sake and in his name, amen. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.